Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us here at the Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by Kitchen to Shelf. Kitchen to Shelf is the educational arm of Next Level Brands and is a provider of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth. Whether you're an early stage startup, a local growing business, or a regional powerhouse, Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. I'm Steve Clear, and we're serving up another tasty episode today. My guests today are Jennifer Lucas Bourgeois and Bram Bourgeois, co-founders of Leco Belgian Dark Chocolate Spread. Bram is also Leco's managing partner. He was born and raised in Belgium and at the age of 28, migrated to the United States where he was fueled by a profound curiosity to see, experience, and understand the world we live in. Mesmerized by the unique scalability potential for good businesses within the U.S., Bram stayed true to his personal commitment to explore all facets of what life has to offer. He's one part entrepreneur, one part executive, intrigued to discover new opportunities that can help make the world a better place, both for people and businesses. Jennifer, or JLB, as she likes to be known, is also Leco's chief brand officer, bringing 20 years progressive marketing experience with primary accomplishments in building brands, managing their integrity, creating loyalty, developing successful and innovative programs. She's a driven individual with a keen ability to analyze markets, interpret consumer needs, and align products with effective programs. The strong background of building brands and storytelling within CPG and the sports arenas, GLB was one of the individuals who set the foundation and grew the Red Bull Energy Drink brand here in the United States. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Steve, that's a mouthful. Thank you for doing that, man. <laughs> no problem, Brom. It, hey, so- uh, it almost shows how old we are now. <laughs> now we're, see, yes, right. You, you go to the, it's, it's the more than 10 years experience. And then it's like, well, with 15 years, and then you, then you stop. And then you just say, with lots of experience in, you know, yeah. CPG, the works out. So, um, is, Brown, I certainly can understand you're coming to the United States as an immigrant. You want to build a business. This is, you know, there's a, a, tons of opportunity and whatever else. But Jennifer, you were in CPG. You knew better than to do this. Okay. (laughs) So tell me a little bit first about how you two got together and then where the idea for uh, Leco came from. Sure. I can take that one. And you know what? I'm going to politely correct you, whether we get back into it, I'd say, Hey, let's keep riding the high. Right. I think one thing (laughs) in, uh, in the world, right. You need food, right. You need good products, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, it's a drink, it's, you know, it's a snack, it's food. It's one thing in in times of good and bad economy, you need food and food makes you feel better. So I, I will say with my background uh, in my pedigree, which you, you mentioned in the introduction, it was a really fun journey. So I was ready to hop back on that, have the fire in the belly to do it again. So I'm just going to put that positive spin on it because this has been a <laughs> ride. All right. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you a really sweet story. So when Brahm and I started dating uh, and, and I met, eventually went over and met now my family, we went to Belgium and it's a, it's a delightful con- country. It's really a hidden gem um, when you look at Europe and, you know, we're there. I'm starting to meet friends and family and every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks has chocolate involved. Breakfast, we had chocolate <laughs> and I was raised with wheat germ. I was raised very healthy Cheerios, you know, no sugar cereals. And I'm like, I hit the gold mine here. People have chocolate in the morning. 
And so I thought it was really interesting that the culture from birth to death really revolves around eating chocolate as a healthy aspect of living. So fast forward a little bit, obviously worked out well, met the in-laws, you know, uh, Brahm and I get engaged, we get married, we have children. Um, and Brahm will kind of make a, a very sweet comment on a marital debate he won, but you know, chocolate is an integral part of our lifestyle. It's, we do eat it as a snack for breakfast, incorporate it into desserts. And, uh, it's something that's been really a part of our family, you know, since we had a family. So we always thought, what if we could bring this Belgian staple to the United States and, you know, make it available for every other household and really drive that health aspect of chocolate and that benefit and that great flavor into different meals. And, you know, Brahm will chime in a little bit more about how Lecco was born, but that is kind of the inspiration of bringing Lecco to the States. And so, Brahm, is, is, it, is it true that in, in Belgium, this you have this over-indexing of chocolate at every meal? Uh, yeah, and it's but but it's it's uh, sublimative, right? You don't really realize it. Um, yeah. But as a kid, you you bike around. We don't have school buses. Uh, you know, kids kids go to school are active. You eat your whole grains. You get your bread. Um, put chocolate spread on there uh, in the afternoon. Come home from school. You eat a snack. Uh, and so there's a reason why why Belgium and food association. I mean, it's associated with beer, Belgian beers, um, Belgian fries. Yep. Uh, Belgium chocolates, uh, Belgium waffles, um, but it is actually one of those one of those elements that came into play in the what if story, right? Uh, it is very rare, and there's only a, a couple associations that that are so strong from a food food connectivity perspective, right? Say Belgium, say food, and then people come with chocolate quite fast. We battle with the Swiss, obviously, um, but we know we have better chocolate than the Swiss. Uh, but that is a very, very strong uh, brand acquisite that you have uh, to, to come to the States. I mean, we're not talking Yugoslavian uh, chocolate, right? And I want to take anything away from if Yugoslavia would have great chocolate, but having such a strong brand connotation to a home country, um, I mean, that is, a, that is a, a plus, and we recognize that. Right. Yeah, you, you, you certainly have that, that going for you. But um, in, in choosing, and again, you could have done um, high-end chocolate or gift baskets or were you staying in the chocolate realm, uh, why was the spread the vehicle you ended up with? Um, so so actually over my over my almost 20 years of, of being an immigrant in the US, I mean, I have a very diverse background. And, and initially you come to this country being mesmerized by the opportunity of scale. And, and I guess it comes with being the age, right? In your 20s, where you're, you're um, ignorant for sure, uh, very daring, uh, you know, maybe a little bit arrogant where you only think of the upside, right? What is the upside? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to make it. You don't think of the downside. And maybe it's good that you don't think about it at that age. Otherwise, you wouldn't risk the things you're risking. Um, as we said in the in the intro, we're a bit older now, right? Gray, um, have, have a family. And if then you start your search for what is the product or what is the company you want to build, uh, we switched the methodology. And what we said was, why why not? What is it that others have known or figured out? Have others tried? And what is the reason they didn't do it or they failed? And what is it that we don't know yet that others have known? And so this actually became a very methodical search. And the the idea of a chocolate spread was really inspired by the dynamic in the spreadable category. What you saw was the the nut spreads, right? Um, right. With the with the arrival of Justin's, the nut spreads 
really took off. And, and Justin Gold with, with, with Justin's show that there's a market space for a higher-end, natural, healthy, authentic, uh, with real ingredients made food. Um, and, and Justin's actually sparked a, um, you know, a whirlwind of flavors and brands and, and versions in that nut spread category. Obviously, in the spreadables, nut spread is a dominant subcategory. Yeah. Um, and then you saw Nutella coming to the U.S. directly. Um, first, it was almost in a parallel import. Then it became Nutella came direct. Nutella starts to educate in a, in a specialty spread almost. And, and then you start looking at this market space and through analysis, you come to understand why is it? And this is really something unique. In every CPG category, for every Coca-Cola, you have a Pepsi, you have an RC, right? For, and that is, right. that is the case for Kleenex, uh, with Puffs, that is the case yep. for cat food, for laundry detergents. There's always that dynamic, right? You have a McDonald's, there's a Burger King, and there's a Wendy's. There's a Coca-Cola, there's a Pepsi, there's an RC. Then you have private label and a higher-end alternative. And then the question was, why is there no alternative to Nutella? And, and the, the, the saying goes, a choice of one is a choice of none. And is there and is the market ready to really create a new dynamic by bringing a clear uh, alternative to Nutella, but not competing against Nutella, bringing some new news to the category? And then we went to go look at what is the known flavor palette that the Americans like, and Americans like like uh, variations, right? Right, like they like flavors. So we went to go look in the chocolate bar category in grocery, which is just a couple aisles further from the spreadable, and we saw the explosion of the flavor palette in that section, and all that made us believe that you know, and we then methodically went to work, but made us believe that there is an opportunity to be a a a better for you product, right? Lowering calories, lowering sugar, a nut-free recipe. We're gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO. So we have all these food attributes. We, we provide it in a flavor variation that is new news to the category. And that's how we identified that white space. So I, I wish I could say this was a story of my grandma's recipe and I felt inclined to take the risk and bring that to the States. The reality is that Jen and I really did our homework for three years. And very methodically started thinking, what if, create a blueprint. It took us three years to do so, create a blueprint. And we started the company in 2017. And since then, again, very methodically, prove the concept in Chicago, take a, a large retailer in your home market, then expand. And then ultimately last year, Kroger took us nationwide. And today we're for sale in 2,250 stores. And that is a, a, a quite an accomplishment. I mean, to... To be able to do that, especially given um, one of the challenges of, of I mean, you don't, I, I'm assuming, you don't have to worry about flavor is not an issue here. We're, we're, you know, you have a quality product and people love chocolate, most people, so we're good there. But there's still this education component, which is the, you know, when do I eat this? What do I buy this? Do I serve it on something? What do I, you know, so... When you were going through the methodical part with data and 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 obviously Jennifer, it's you know your your ballywick too in that in it. Um, did you see a clear open white space, as it were, to say you know what if I if I can just demo this, I can sell it, or or what was the what was the kind of the final uh, the inflection point that led you to that product? Yeah, I mean there was a couple things. I mean I think even before we launched Leco. 
a darling story is, you know, we used to bootleg products back from Belgium that we couldn't find in the States. Definitely <laughs> Chicago style. Um, not our first rodeo. If you're local here, come on, you know what to do. But we, you know, we had other chocolate spreads that we that we ate every day and we'd bring it back for the kids and for ourselves. And, you know, we had the supply because we just couldn't get the product. And of course you have friends over and you're like, Hey, try this, you know, and you know, chocolate for breakfast is such a really new discovery, um, you know, for yeah. Americans, because most of us haven't been raised with it, that people are just loving it. What they like too, is it was different than the other leading spread on the market, right? Didn't have hazelnuts. It was a really clean flavor. And so we kind of had this little test market and that aha moment of, Hey, Folks love it. They love this chocolate. So, you know, fast forward, we launched Lecco in, you know, in 2017. Um, and, you know, like Brom said, the first thing we did is we stayed in our home market. There's no better market than Chicago with, you know, its ethnic and palate diversity. Um, you've got such a large sample size in the market. And we were able to go out to local retailers and let consumers try it and educate them on the chocolate. Um, why is it why you should have it for breakfast? What you can do with it? What can you do beyond a spread? And so we really did a lot of field work um, to really educate consumers on what to do with Lucko. And that really helped inform us as well as, you know, how do we structure, you know, speaking points? What are consumers listening to? What do they want to hear? You know, lower sugar, lower calories. They love that. Also, Lecco is an all-natural recipe. It's a nut-free recipe, peanut-free. It's gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, and non-GMO. Those are fantastic attributes that are very important to consumers. So when we went out to the market, we we really listened and we kind of tooled our, our approach and, you know, that informed a lot of that, what took our next steps as well. And also, I mean, in Chicago is not an easy market, but it's a, it's a good market, as you mentioned, not only for the diversity, but you also have a pretty large number of independent stores, um, which you don't have all over the country that you can, you know, um, go to with a product and maybe get, you know, at least a, at least a decent hearing. How did, how did you, did you? approach that with um did you start right out going to retail and and trying to get in stores did you do farmers markets what was your initial approach yeah our approach was was to go to uh to retail and exactly right that independent retail but what i what i actually want to give jen accolades here steve on your question before right uh, you're talking to somebody who was 18 years part of the red bull brand who when starting with Red Bull was told by a nice gentleman, girl, you should look for a real job because this little overpriced can of what you say, energy drink, this is not going anywhere. You should look for a real career. Yeah. Um, so true story, yeah. true story. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is, we're, we're, we're actually um, ways ahead in the race compared to where Red Bull once started. Right. And, and again, there Nutella is the, is the giant, but there, there is no Lecco without Nutella because Nutella is actually taking care of tremendous part of that education of the market. Yes, that's They're true. explaining yeah. that to us, right? They're yeah. explaining yeah. in the morning commercials what, what you can do with a chocolate spread. We just want to be that, that alternative to it, not by coming with a direct competitive product, but with a clear different choice than what Nutella represents. And that is the dynamic that retail is actually looking for. So now to answer your question, what is your channel? From the beginning, we actually, uh, we, we are convinced and still to this day, and actually COVID has uh, only confirmed that, is that the preferred channel for a product like ours is the grocery store. It's your local grocery store. Right. So that was our, we went to market, the independent, the Chicago-based grocery stores, um, you know, organized in-store sampling, 
get people to try the product and try to uh, persuade them to, to buy the product. And we actually had a team of about 25 uh, young, energetic uh, kids that went out and sampled their product. We, we took advantage of, of the opportunities you have in the Chicagoland market to get your product to the consumer. And, and that's how it started. And actually, it's, um, it's, it's quite cool in the beginning when you are in the first store we were ever in that was a, a Polish uh, 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 Jewish uh, deli in, um, in um, Skokie uh, called Kaufman's <laughs> Deli. And Jen went there and, and she was the sampling team. And, and when Jen was there and she came home, she's like, nine jars were sold. And that the notion that nine families were having your jar of chocolate spread on that Sunday morning brunch, <laughs> that is just cool. You know what I mean? That is so cool. And, and that was a pinch moment. And then it becomes a pinch moment when Jewel Osco takes you and, and you grow into 155 stores, 160 stores incrementally. That's a pinch moment. And so, so these pinch moments have continued to come, but we did it very methodical, independent larger chain, expand nationwide, go into Kroger, but really the grocery channel is our, is our channel. Is your, is your home. Brahm, you mentioned uh, COVID. So you guys started in 2017, you were growing, uh, 2019 comes along, uh, and then 2020. So what, what happened with you guys from both a forward facing perspective, in other words, in the stores and obviously demoing sampling went away, uh, but also like supply chain, how did you how did you deal with it? Um, that's a good question. It's a really loaded one, right? Because I truly believe we'll look back in a couple of years or in decade or two decades from now and say, what an insane challenge this has been, what an insane right this has been, and what what a worst time can you choose as a new brand, an emerging brand, to go nationwide, right, and jump from 500 stores to 2,025 stores at the moment you hit the, the great pandemic of 2020. Like, yeah. Yeah. it could not be worse, Steve. It could not be worse. Yeah. Um, but as so often, you don't choose your timing, right? And, and there's positives that came from that, there's negatives that came from that. And so uh, in, in French, they have a saying, that's uh, a la guerre comme a la guerre, means when it's war, you treat it like it's war, you know? And, and you, have to make, you have to make the most of it and you don't get a second chance. Um, we the benefit of this negative environment with COVID, why why where the consumer has immediately changed their behavior, their consuming behavior, right? Mom is not grabbing the kids to go to the store and leisurely walk through the aisles and discover new items. Right. Mom is on a mission, right? Or dad is on a mission. They go yep. in, out. Uh, the grocery stores for the first time in our life even told us how to walk in what direction through what aisle. Um, the consumer only bought what he knew, and so yep. we were tremendously challenged uh, because of that. Tremendously challenged. Um, but then you you start to pivot, which is what you have to do. Uh, and the really good thing is, is that we we saw a bottom line uh, velocity in store. And, and because you couldn't be effectively promoting it, you couldn't um, create field marketing, you couldn't sample in a store. No. So it, it kind of told us by just being on the shelf, where are we, right? And and all I can say there is that we were we were good enough for the Kroger team, within five months of launch, when we had the review, we were positively reviewed and we stayed on shelf, unchanged. And so that gives wow, us now time. Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And one thing I want to chime in too, you know, we talk about pivoting, right? I think any business owner is going to have to pivot sometime. You can write the perfect blueprint and six months in, something happens out of your control. So, you know, we're really lucky. We're a chocolate spread company. We have delicious content. 
There is a lot you can do with Leco beyond the spread. So we started bringing our storytelling to life through our social channels. And that really has been fantastic because what you see now, consumer behavior has changed tremendously. And so what a lot of folks are doing is they're, they're discovering brands online. And that has been a big opportunity for us as well. Um, you know, we've got delicious content over all of our channels across social media. And it's been a really great opportunity for us to connect as much as we can with our consumers. And that's something you're going to see, I think, across the board continue past, you know, the veil lifting from COVID because uh, yeah. now these behaviors are just reinforced. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I think is, is um, you know, to, to look at and not to say that, you know, you have something horrible happen like the pandemic, but out of it, if you are a researcher, if you are a marketer, if you are, you know, you, you are fascinated by the changes and, and and what happens. And in working with a couple of clients who have shelf staple goods, whose lives went absolutely crazy during the pandemic because people were using their food for, you know, for storage purposes or prep purposes, or whatever. Uh, eventually, of course, thank goodness it was in the house. It got eaten up. So that was good. But the idea of you know, we're looking at, okay, we know this can't last forever and it's not going to, but, you know, let's talk about new normal. Let's talk about whatever. And I've been very surprised at the amount of business that I'm not sure transferred necessarily, although some of it certainly did from store to e-commerce, but the amount that's still retained in e-commerce. So, you know, the habits change. Um, the fact that, uh, that the brand is again, maybe available on the store shelf, but the consumer isn't making that purchase in the store anymore. The consumer is purchasing it online because I don't know why price, you know, convenience, habit, whatever it is. But the percentage that has stayed for me with the people I work with, at least has been pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And talk about consumer behaviors. I mean, we've always wanted to be an arm's reach or finger swipe away for our consumer because there are some markets that we just don't have retail in right now. We'll, we'll right. get there. Yep. So we do need to be available on our .com and also on Amazon. You know, so I, you know, what I think you're going to see coming out of this pandemic is that the, the behaviors will change, whether it's Instacart, whether it's Amazon purchasing and, and, and it is going to evolve and shape. And I think, you know, consumers are going to get more comfortable with not only discovering and trusting brands that have authenticity in, you know, in their brand ethos, um, but also word of mouth as well as purchasing online. So I think you're going to see a very equal playing field. You know, another comment I'll make, you've seen retailers like, you know, I'm going to speak very, um, you know, regionally like Jewel Osco, Mariano's, but also Kroger's, Safeways move to that online platform as well. Oh, yes. Target because they've seen it. Yeah. And then Walmart pick up, you name it. So I, it really is a, a strong shift in consumer behaviors through this pandemic. So, so let's turn that around a little bit with, with you guys and, and, and Jennifer, particularly because of your, your previous experience. What about the fact that we're not getting in front of buyers and stuff anymore? And is that going to go back to the way it was? Or is a buyer going to find out that he or she can see three times as many products in a day as they used to? And in fact, don't need, you know, I I can ship the product there. I don't need to have you do come and do the cutting in front of me with all your rigmarole and talk for 10 minutes about your kids and whatever. How, how do you think that's going to go? Steve, I'll, I'll take that one. I think actually for a small business, that is that is a great advantage um, because the, the time you get for from a buyer, um, a category manager in his review period, his or she, uh, his or her review period, 
it is so limited. Um, right. We've done these meetings, right? You travel, uh, it's, it's a, it's a two-day commitment with all the costs associated to sit down and have a 20-minute meeting. And, and you, it's really hard to justify that meeting when, when we've all become way more effective doing it over Zoom, where, where the same yeah. people can be brought across. Because at the end of the day, it's still analytics, right? It's a tremendous amount of analytics. Um, and, and in all fairness, if there's one thing that is really an advantage to us with COVID is that all the review calendars and all the review schedules were dramatically impacted, right? And the focus was on supply chain management and making sure that how can the shortages be covered and, and making sure that there was an optimization from the supply chain management of the existing product in store. Uh, there was in, in, in the last six months, very little emphasis on putting new product in the store because retailers try to get merchandisers to, to stay out of the stores. Right, yeah. And so that has given us maybe a little bit more breeding time to prove ourselves as a brand as well. Um, the downside is, is that you're not yet... Uh, being heard or meetings being taken for us to grow further. But we took such a jump with, with being taken nationwide by Kroger that, that the focus of this year for us is entirely on building sales velocity. Right. Support, support the distribution you have. Support what right. we have right now and build velocity in where we're at. And then we do know every grocery retailer looks at, looks at Kroger. Kroger sets the bar. And then if we do well in our Kroger stores, in our Kroger markets, that should that should be uh, or that should lead to to good review right. opportunities for us in 2022 and beyond when things normalize. So that is one of the benefits I do see coming out of the COVID. Uh, you'll yes, care. you'll you'll have your data, and and yes, it certainly is. I mean, in the end, uh, more efficient for most of the buying process, and 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 you guys have been so you know Kroger or here at Albertsons headquarters, uh, it takes 15 minutes for 20 minutes for them to come down, get you out of the lobby, go through the metal detector, pass the security guards and, and upstairs. I mean, just in that period of time, they could, you know, review the product, look at your sell sheet, talk to you about, you know, how many per store we think we're going to move here. So it's, it's, that's going to be a thing evolving, but very different. And I think it goes across the whole, the whole platform. I mean, that goes across your supply chain. It goes across mm -hmm. everything, you know, where we used to, you know, we, you might want to go to a, a place if you're looking for containers and see stuff, you're not going to do that now. The guy's going to send it to you know your office. You're going to look at it. You're going to jump on Zoom. You're going to look at variations and then you know probably make a decision. So it'll you know. Well, uh, and Steve, honestly, let's see what happens with trade shows in the future. You know, food-based trade shows. It's all about sampling your product. I mean, wrap your head oh. around that one. Oh, and imagine really imagine if we'd had Expo. Imagine oh. if we'd actually done the super spreader event of people. <laughs> <laughs> packed like sardines next to each other, putting things into their mouth. Yeah, that, that would have been that would have been such a disaster. But as I understand it now, when we're when we're doing the recording, uh, Expo East, uh, from everything I've heard, September they're going to try to do a physical show, and I, I'm betting they're not going to be able to do it um, for a whole host of reasons. But it, you know, people are trying to aim, and I saw something else yeah. this morning. Where they said, you know, oh no, this is going to be a live event, not live on Zoom. This going to be a live physical event. I'm going, yeah, maybe, maybe not. We'll see what happens. Yeah. How? So, did you guys um, have you been in the states the entire year and stuff? Did you did you get to go over to Belgium at all, or when was last time you were homegrown? Um, last time I was over was October 2019. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. so. 
quite challenging, of course, to manage your supply chain, right? We manufacture over in Belgium. Yep. yep. Um, but we've we've done it right, uh, not easy. Um, definitely uh, COVID, I don't know how familiar you are with that aspect of it, but the global shipping supply chain, ocean freight. Oh, Lord, yes. Majorly disrupted yep. uh, at the start of 2020. And, yep. and we're still, to this day, uh, experiencing the impact of it. It's actually getting worse. And so very challenging environment to secure supply chain, getting product here. Um, so that aspect, it's um, it's not easy, Steve. It's not no, easy. That, no, there's, there's a, couple, a couple of people actually who've been guests on the show that are, um, they both source in Africa, one in Uganda, one in Mozambique. Um, and both of them in the original iteration of the company shipped by air. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the pandemic came, those planes weren't going anymore because they were right. They were cargo on passenger planes. Boom. All of a sudden they have to change over to shipping by sea. And it's like, okay, so the first chance you have of getting in a container that's leaving is two and a half months from now. Right. And it will be a month. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. They, they, and both of them got just slant and they, and they you know, obviously, um, you know, they have stock allocation and all that stuff, but yeah, just that supply chain thing of, and, and now of course you should say like the boats and, and we, we know about the disaster in the Suez, whatever it, uh, yeah, it, it, it's all coming under, under focus now. And um, that all, that all basically goes from top down. So Right. If you're shipping, there's, there's a comment I want to make because you, your audience is clearly in, in CPG food startups, startup businesses, right? Yep. And what what I want people to be aware of that that is that it's never been easier to start a food company as it is today, right? You you order online, everything can be done online. You order jars, you get them, you make labels, you print them, they get shipped to your house. You start a company, even if you want to, you can incorporate online. You know what I mean? Yep, and, and for a minimum amount of money, you have yourself a food company and you go, as you asked, where did you go? Farmer's market, right? Retail. You can go to any farmer's market. You pay your 200 bucks or 500 bucks and, and you have a stand and you're there. You can tell your friends, we're a food company. And then as easy as it is to start this thing, I don't think it has ever been more complex to start a food company that can truly scale at this level, right? Because People wrap their heads around the jar and they're like, well, how hard can it be? It's a jar of chocolate spread. Like, right, you make it, you sell it. It's quite easy from a business model. <laughs> Just the sheer underlying distribution challenges, right? We're a business to business to business to business to consumer business model, right? And we're the business as the brand. The second B is your, is your distributors. The third B is your brokers. The fourth B is your grocery store. And then eventually that's the consumer. And top, on top of that, you have the the brands to the consumer from a marketing perspective. And then it is so, so, so complicated, but it looks so easy. Um, and that is a huge discrepancy. And it's actually one of the reasons why legitimately your success rate, the rate of, of failing versus making it is that 99 to one, right? Right. Um, because of the, the ease of entry to, to start and the, the tremendous complexity to truly scale. Yeah, and scaling is scaling is the challenge. You know, um, you can start, you can you can grow a business. Um, some some entrepreneurs and people I've worked with in you know in in pitches and in in looking for investment and stuff are are would be very happy to stay kind of as a regional brand or a regional food thing. But there's you know there's pressure there. But to to go as you guys did. Um, to go to a Kroger and, and suddenly the world changes 
because the numbers change and and we we you know our industry is an inverted you know pyramid it's the funnel up it's the funnel except we're going up the funnel not down um it's two stores 20 stores 200 2000 and all of the impact that that comes with that is is huge um so Jennifer the, the, talk to us a little bit about the similarities and the differences between launching and growing Leco and launching growing Red Bull. Oh, yeah. Well, the similarities are it, it it's a small well, let's peel the onion back to 96, right? When yeah, Red Bull yeah. launched in the States. Unknown brand, right? You have to educate consumers on what it is. Um, not even a point of differentiation because energy drinks didn't exist. But you really have to have a brand personality and be able to live the brand and explain why it benefits you. Same premise with Leco. You know, we're still uh, not a household brand yet. And I do say yet, but we need to educate people. What is a chocolate spread? Why are we different? Where you can buy us, right? Uh, what it's good for. And, you know, that takes time. So growing a brand, you know, and a product takes time. And that's one lens that you have to have on. You know, really, when you look at, you know, as far as I always kind of joke with everyone, it's it's not my first rodeo kind of launching a, a food brand because I, I was very lucky to be with the Red Bull, you know, crew back in 96 um, when no one knew what Red Bull was. It took us, you know, a long time to get to where you see it today. Right. And so when you build a product, it does take that time. So you have to have that patience. You have to have that flexibility. There's always a ton of unforeseen, you know, little obstacles that come in your way and you have to pivot. And that's where I think the similarities are, you know, also you have to really, you know, crawl before you walk and walk before you run. And so to go nationwide was never the plan, you know, with Red Bull, even though it existed for 10 years in, in Europe, really it was market by market. And we've taken that same philosophy. We've tested, improved and kind of disproved. And, you know, for Leco's point of view, we have listened to consumers as well. And that's been the brilliant thing behind it is, you know, Brahm and I are really steering the ship. It is like the Titanic. It's not a little speedboat. It is really a big ship. Um, you have to steer it accordingly. Um, we do listen to our consumers. We listen to our retailers. We listen to our distributors. We take all these things into account. And it's really a, a process that you have to go through as, as you're growing your product and your brand. So. Yeah. And um, in a constant a constant challenge, as it were. Let me ask you guys, because I, I know in, within our audience, um, we have a number of, of people that are fellow entrepreneurs, uh, but also are couples, as it were. So how has launching the business together, how do you guys handle that in terms of your your marriage and divisions of responsibility? Yeah, um, I Go ahead. Yeah, see, you they both go for it. <laughs> yeah. well, we both we both we both have good answers. So Trump, kick it off. Kick right. it off. I'll 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 chime. I'll say two things to that. The the first one is is that we were lucky enough early on to work together and have figured out how, how not to work together. Because <laughs> we were we were while we're engaged, literally, we're also engaged in a business activity. Um where, where that was my job at that point, and Jen helped out. And, and we absolutely figured out, okay, if we want to make this work as a couple, then we cannot work together because we didn't know what it would take to work together. And there we figured that out. So it was a real good example of, okay, this is not how it works. Now we can, we can um, change that. And quite frankly, my question is actually to other food entrepreneurs where I'm wondering if your significant other is not involved in your business, how do you make that work? Because this is so consuming mentally, emotionally, financially, physically, 
every aspect of it. I could not imagine if I came home having to to bear the weight of this endeavor all by myself. Wow. If Jen is not working, let's say for Red Bull, and, and she has a completely different life, I'm really wondering, how does that go? Uh, because I only see benefits of us working working together and doing this together as a couple. I, I wouldn't see it any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. being married to an entrepreneur, not the easiest thing. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I would say, you know, in, even if your partner has, you know, a job outside of your industry or your business, at least understanding the path in, in championing them. And, you know, there are days that, you know, an entrepreneur's journey is, you know, you know, a zigzag, right? You have your peaks and your valleys. And that's just the journey. If you talk to any small entrepreneur to some of the biggest in the world, like Richard Branson or Sarah Blakely, who I've seen speak, and they talk about their small business, which always just makes my eyes pop. But they talk about that entrepreneurial journey and that ups and downs. And you really need that partner or business partner or spouse that understands that path and, and that you're going to have those really, really great days when you're high and low days when maybe you have to make those pivot decisions. So we've been very lucky. You know, Brahm and I also come with two different diverse backgrounds, right? Our, our backpacks are filled with different skills. Mm-hmm. that are complementary, And there are times where we challenge each other respectfully because we just don't know each other's sandbox, right? But we do also respect the fact, hey, Brom plays a role in this certain area. I play a role in this certain area. And at the end of the day, we kind of respect, you know, the lanes we're in. And that's something just kind of early on that we adopted. Um, it, it, you know, it, we do bring it home. And I think, you know, the best is, you know, when we sit down for dinner, we always have dinner with the family and we try not to talk business. We try really hard because we owe that to our kids as well to have that break. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. What is what is key, Steve, is that our skill sets are so, are so well defined and so complementary that we do stay in each other out of each other's lanes. We we each have our lane. Um, you know, we we have other members in our leadership team who, in their field, are equally as as strong or or even better than we are in our field. But having that very well defined where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and respect everybody's lane, uh, that that is the given um, to that success, I believe. Um, and, and you know, and, and kudos you guys for being able to pull that off. I think there's. Um, I, I talked to a couple one time where um, I forget what the mix was, but they they split up four different things, and and basically it was he. I think was he was the marketing and CFO guy. And she was operations and something else, uh, customer service, something, whatever. And I went, now, wait a minute. You're telling me that the CFO is also the marketing guy? Well, that's a recipe for bankruptcy right there, <laughs> right? You know, you need, you need this. You need to, or he never spent his marketing budget. Or, yeah, yeah, or, or that, right. Or, or, right. Speaking from the marketing girl, right? Yeah. He just said, no, no, we're not going to do that. Figuring it out. Um, <laughs> Steve, in our case, it's simple. As, as, because, and this is, I think, insightful for, for people, right? As I just came to say, there's two aspects to building a brand. There's the B2C communication, which is as a brand, you need to appeal to the consumer. And that is everything that Jen does. And that's where her title comes in as the chief brand officer. We're building a brand. Right. And every aspect of that communication where we as a brand need to connect to that consumer, that is where Jen is in charge. Every aspect below that line where it's about building the business to ensure that when we did reach the consumer, they can buy our product, which is the B to B to B to B to C. Yep. That is what I manage. And that's the divide. And that's, that's a very clear yep. understanding of where the lanes, uh, who is in what lane. 
So, but I, but I, I would also say tongue in cheek though. I'm also head of sanitation, director of uh, fulfillment and shipping. Um, in fact, now it was it funny. Out. We were, yeah. Right. It, I mean, this is a reality, right? You know, we right. were, we were actually shooting a segment in our studio and in between takes, I was like, I'm just going to clean the bathroom. Cause you know, here's my time to clean some of the office. And I had my gloves on and I, I round the corner with my cleaning supplies. I'm like, you guys, this is the sexy side of entrepreneurship right here. <laughs> and I got a good laugh out of everyone, but you know, Brom, you know, Brom also is like, you know, had a sanitation as well, but that's a reality. You know, um, coming from a big organization like Red Bull, you had someone who did legal and travel and cleaning. No, that does not exist. You know, that's you, yep. you know, it's the right. co-founder. So we do take pride in, the, in that side of it as well. Um, but as Brahm explained, we do kind of have a clear definition on business operations and, and what we do with our skill set to kind of, you know, drive that shit. Yeah, get it, get it so that it goes. Um in in without I mean uh, without spilling secrets here or whatever else kind of what's um, we talked about supporting the distribution but what's next for you guys a little down the road anything you can talk um, about that you're looking at twenty twenty emphasis is entirely on on cadence uh, we've we've explained that to our team to partners to everybody in the channel it's we have a massive footprint from a distribution perspective we are in fourteen distribution centers. Uh, we're in, in 42 metro markets. We're in, in 30 states, 2,125 stores. Now it's all cadence. Build up velocity, let product rotate, move around, um, you know, get that rhythm going before we take any further expansion out. So 2021 yeah. is entirely, you know, get, get this rhythm going because we cannot absorb another jump like that, nor would that be responsible. No, right. right. So no, great, great. I mean, all the now, Steve, are entirely going to creating brand awareness and have the right programs uh, where we can justify our growth, uh, see a return on investment, try to make it as tangible as we can, uh, not changing anything on the product uh, format, the flavors. Um, it's, it's truly developing cadence because you need those moments. You have those, those growth spurts, and then you need to catch up and then grow again and catch up. And so... That's a bit what uh, what 20, 2021 is. Yeah. Uh, and then 2022, hopefully we're two years past COVID. Things are normalizing again. Uh, and we should then have solid numbers that justify further expanding further the brand. Expansion. Our next step. Awesome. Um, let me ask you guys, uh, because of your different backgrounds and such, we, um, we try to get guests to highlight a, um, a major challenge or the biggest challenge, whatever, in in and you can choose guys either your career or in in growing the brand and growing Leco. Um, what was the biggest challenge and and how did you how did you overcome it? And who wants to go first? Rom? Um, yeah, I'll I'll this this actually takes me back to my to my first um days in the States. Um I came April 1st, 2002. And I was involved with the indoor go-kart racing concept. Uh, and that's Steve, where you and I are. That's right. DNA cross, right? With you with Formula One. And I was involved with rally racing. Yep. Uh, huge passion for cars and racing and race cars. So we get involved with my partners in, in go-kart tracks. Those indoor go-kart race facilities where you drive high-speed formula-style uh, go-karts around in an industrial building. And... And I'm 28, 29 years old, totally new to this country. And nothing translates from what you did in Europe to the US and truly having to figure out how we would convert failing businesses because we came because those businesses were failing. They needed management consulting. And we came in and, and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the employees that we had. 
a couple good guys, but really struggling because no money to even properly pay. And my rate, my my partner, my business partner was scheduled to stop by and he visits me. And I thought, okay, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear my mentor talk, right? And he asked me, he's like, what's your biggest challenge? I said, Keto, it's it's the quality of people that are working for us. It's dramatic, it's not good. And I was like, how do I, how do I solve this? <laughs> he literally explained, he literally said to me one sentence. He's like, Bram, just remember, you're you deserve the people that work for you. I was like, okay, what do you oh, mean? Wow. He's like, you deserve the people that work for you. If those are the people that are working for you, it must be that you're tolerating this. It must be that you hire them or that you, like, if you have the chance to build your team, then you're only responsible for what your team has become or is. And that is a lesson that has stuck with me to this day, that to, to even conversations Jen and I have in, in how we're building the culture of our company, the culture of our brand. Um, do you hire uh, based on fit with your culture or based on skill? Uh, we go 100% based on fit because what we're building is greater than the individual that works for us. We want to build a place that people can join us in this journey. And we're very aware that the people that work with us, for us, on this brand, with us in this brand, it's the people that we deserve that are working for us. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that's really good. Very good. So, JLB? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, and this goes back from my early days of my career to even now, is you know, knowing when to pivot and evolve uh, and evolution is important. I remember at a meeting in Lake Tahoe in 1997, we had an executive there from MTV. I don't remember the guy's name, but I do remember what he said. He said, evolve or die. And I thought that was some, a great takeaway, right? So how does that translate to today? So whether you're, you know, whatever role you're playing in your organization or even your product or your path to, to market, you know, try to be very open-minded that again, that blueprint you went, wrote down last week, a month ago, if there's an obstacle or a challenge or an opportunity, don't be afraid of that evolution. And sometimes I think that's the biggest challenge is, you know, for us, you know, I, Brahm and I both kind of see what's on the horizon. We get very excited um, but sometimes there's challenges in the way. So how do we evolve to kind of reach that end goal? And so, you know, a challenge I think is always an opportunity. Brahm says it all the time. I say it all the time. And I think really it's looking at, you know, how do you evolve and be flexible and kind of pliable as you go about your business and in growing your brand or your product. Yep. And you gotta, gotta be able to pivot. And we, and yep. certainly if we've learned nothing in the last year, <laughs> the past year, right? Sure. Oh my gosh. Well, Hey, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to be with us today and sharing your stories and and uh, you know the the success of of Leco and and we you know wish you of course you know great luck in the future building the brand. I'm sure it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's been awesome so far, right? So this yeah. ought to work. And uh, really appreciate you you know both taking the taking the time to be, I know you got a lot of other things to do. So thank you so much. Well, Steve, thanks so much, and you know we encourage the audience too to connect with us if they'd like on LinkedIn. Also, feel free to follow us at Lecco, and it's at L-E-K-K-C-O on all of our social channels. And of course, Lecco.com. Hopefully, we put a big smile on your face when you uh, see our delicious chocolate spreads. And we really appreciate your time as well. No problem. If you can't find it at your local store, you can find it at L-E-K-K-C-O.com. So you can do that. Okay, guys. Great. Thanks so much. And thanks for the rest of you for uh, joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast and being a part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. 
If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health and wellness, or even small goods, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. Education, resources, workshops, and founder coaching. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.